The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. We're going to kick off the show with one of our star guests. Probably, let's just say the star guest uh, for 630 Chad. And we're going to start really big umbrella talking federal politics. It got to talk about Jody Wilson Raybould's uh, releasing the recordings of conversations that. We're now calling political interference. What is political interference? Isn't this kind of what happens in government? It's a part of government. And then we'll get into some of the things that are going on right now as we speak. Jeff Calloway, who ran in the UCP leadership race, he is in court as part of the investigation into what we're calling the Kamikaze campaign. And it's day 14 on the campaign trail. What's jumping out for Dr. Dwayne Bratt? But before we get to him, let's hear Jody Wilson-Raybould and Warnick. I, I feel like I actually really feel uncomfortable having this conversation because um, it's wrong. And I hear, and the Prime Minister obviously can call me. Like I said to you, I will have a conversation. I'm going to call Beverly McLaughlin and have a conversation about her with this with her. Well, I mean, of course it hasn't been done before because Parliament only created the instrument barely a year ago. So, no, no, no. This I instrument mean, was. You mean the directive? The directive yeah. on a specific prosecution has never occurred, and this happened because Harper brought this law in, as you probably know, um, ten years ago. The directive has, or the the DPA has never been used because it just entered the criminal code back in September. So I understand that this is the first case. The prosecutor sent me what's called the Section 13. You told me that you hadn't seen it before, but I've read it and I've reread it, and the Prime Minister's office has a copy of it. She explains in it why she's not doing it in this case. We have to, I have to be, unless it's something outrageous, comfortable with the decision, recognizing it's the first one, likely and obviously I'm confident wasn't entered into lightly, made the decision not to enter into a DPA with respect to this case. And she explained why. So when did she convey that to you? She issued the Section 13 back in September when I was down in Australia for for whatever that, for the five eyes. And then all of this transfer, I mean, I have a timeline of every single conversation and everything that everybody's said to me on this. So um, I like, anyway, I, I just, again, I... I'm surprised that you and I are having this conversation, but I'm just saying that I really feel uncomfortable and about the appropriateness of this conversation. So that's Jody Wilson-Raybould, who was then our Justice Minister, Attorney General for Canada. She was speaking with then Clerk of the Privy Council, Michael Warnick. This is from a 17-minute long conversation, December 19th, 2018. And going to the guy who's going to clear all this up of what exactly this means is Dr. Dwayne Bratt, the professor of political science and chair of Department of Economics, Justice and Policy Studies at MRU. Happy April Fool's, Dr. Dwayne Bratt. Hey, Kelsey. Okay, nothing funny about this one. Uh, no, and I'm not going to be able to clear it all up because I still have a whole bunch of questions. But I will say of all the parts of that 17-minute conversation, which I've listened to a couple times now, I'm glad you chose this one. And the reason for that is it makes very clear what Jody Wilson-Rabel was being asked to do. 
the director of public prosecution had already ruled on this and had written an extensive memo, uh, the Section 13 memo, explaining why she wasn't going to give a deferred prosecution to SNC-Lavalin. And what Michael Wernick is saying is you need to overrule that director. He doesn't say why that there was something wrong with what he wrote. Um, he was basically saying you have to overrule her because of these other considerations. And that is incredibly inappropriate. Her big quote is, it can't be politically motivated. All of this screams of that. So does this, like you said, there's many questions obviously still out there, but is this political interference? Oh, absolutely it's political interference. It was unsuccessful political interference, but the political interference has continued when she gets shuffled out of her job directly as a result of this. There's other parts of the tape where it is clear that Michael Wernick is threatening her, or at least Trudeau is threatening her job through Michael Wernick. When we talk about political interference, and this is a text we just got to 6.30, she was doing, and she was being asked to do what every justice minister has always been asked to do. Is this just a part of running a country? No, you need to separate the justice ministry from the attorney general. The justice minister sits in cabinet, uh, makes appointments, legal appointments, introduces legislation. The attorney general's job is the top law enforcement official in Canada. The, the issue we have in Canada is we double hat that person. So Wilson was both of those. Um, so, no, there should be a separation. We do not want governments interfering into specific legal cases. They can establish the laws, of course, and they can establish the parameters, but you do not want the prime minister of the day getting involved in an individual legal case. That's what this is. On behalf of one company in one case, that is the textbook definition of political interference. It would be like asking uh, the minister to intervene in an individual court case. You know, can't you let this go, as it were? Um, and that would also be political interference. So, no, this is very different. I'd be very interested to see what an Angus Reid poll would say today. But on Thursday, a day ahead of these recordings being released, Angus Reid released a poll that showed that Andrew Scheer is 44% more favorable to Canadians, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh 39%, and then Trudeau with 36% at uh, early in this election poll. Is This is before the recordings came out. I honestly, I'm shocked to see the NDP leader ahead of Trudeau. Yeah, if we, if we move from the, the legal to the political, uh, because we don't have majority votes on legal matters, and we should. But if we move to the political and how this scandal is being framed, I would expect that number to be dropping even more. And the, and the reason for that isn't just uh, the, the evidence of the tape, but it's the conflicting stories that Trudeau has given on this situation since it broke in early February. So there was a clip that went um, around uh, the internet over the weekend which replayed Trudeau's first remark 
the day after the Globe and Mail story that broke this, and he's saying everything in that story is false. None of that happened. And everything in that story has turned out to be completely true. And Trudeau has actually admitted some of that. So what he is hurt by is his switching narrative. I'm reading a, a tweet that I saw over the weekend from Gerald Butts, who already testified before the Justice Committee, and he said, having reviewed Ms. Wilson-Raybould's further testimony, I have tabled with the Justice Committee notes and texts between us related to the events Ms. Wilson-Raybould describes. The biggest outcry that I saw in a thread of nearly a thousand, res- more than a thousand responses now, is why does Gerald Butts, who's no longer a part of that caucus in the back office, why does he have access to this information? Is that now not a confidentiality breach? Well, the, the issue that people are fixating on is, is the phone. But he could very well, when this story broke, started to print off these transcripts for himself off of his phone, off of the computer. Um, and so when he handed off his government computer and government phone, he still had these transcripts. That's, uh, I think that would be appropriate. In fact, he was asked that when he testified originally uh, to, to the House Justice Committee. If we were to call an election today, what does that look like for the Trudeau government? Oh, they would be in, I think, a lot of trouble. You know, so he wanted this uh, to be faced on the carbon tax, and which was going to be quite a battle uh, between him and Andrew Scheer. But once you start throwing in issues of political interference and corruption, that would make it that much that much harder. People are texting. Is is perjury a crime? Testifying in front of committee is the same as in court. Is is this the same thing? Um. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a lawyer on that. These people were not sworn in. It is not a court of law. They would be in contempt of parliament, but that is different than uh, um, uh, perjury in a court. I could be mistaken because, again, I'm not, not a lawyer, but they would be in trouble with parliament but not in trouble with the legal system. Before we start talking a little bit closer to home, want, want your your thoughts on, on Jeff Calloway being in court today. Uh, but when we're talking about this scandal, is there an equivalent of SNC-Lavalin and, tr- and the Trudeau government and Jody Wilson-Raybould, is there an equivalent in recent history? Did Harper have anything like this? No, in fact, Harper created the director of public prosecution to try to give separation uh, between uh, the attorney general's office and high-profile corruption cases in the government of the day. And so what, uh, ironically, what the Trudeau government is trying to do is circumvent the protections that Harper put deliberately in. The Harper government's looking very good right now for what they did. Okay, Jeff Calloway in court today. He is the pawn as part of this kamikaze campaign. What comes out of court today? How big of an impact could it have on Jason Kenney and the UCP as we approach April 16th? Well, I think the Kenny Calloway collusion, and I'm calling it collusion because based on the evidence, that's exactly what I see. I think this is a very serious matter. Uh, we already have six people who've been fined by Elections Alberta for donating money to the Calloway camp who were donating money that wasn't first. 
Elections Alberta has handed off this file to the RCMP for further investigation. What Callaway is asking is that Elections Alberta either stop the investigation as a whole, or if they do have to investigate, don't do it during an election period. My view is you're asking an, an organization whose job it is to investigate violations of Elections Act not to investigate during an election period. None of these people who are suing are currently candidates um, for the UCP. So why does it matter if they're being investigated unless there is a concern that in this investigation they will find other individuals who are candidates or who are working for the UCP right now. And so I'm going to be very interested to um, see what uh, what the courts rule out. It's also ironic that the Callaway's lawyers are arguing for an emergency injunction but their argument is that it's not urgent that the investigation be done right now. Yeah, that's something worth clarifying. The reason he's in uh, or before a Calgary judge this afternoon is he's wanting this to be immediately shut down, doesn't think there needs to be an investigation into the kamikaze campaign, and he's arguing that there's absolutely no urgency to question witnesses during an election period. So they're seeing this as a coordinated attack against the UCP. Right. Whereas Elections Alberta is saying they have a responsibility to investigate um, election fraud or, or violations of finance rules. Is that that must I think we've got to isolate that that's probably the the only legal issue here is where the campaign dollars were coming from. It was being funneled. It wasn't uh, true, honest donations. But as far as trying to set up certain candidates, there's a lot of ethical issues here. And, and there are people who are just fixated on, well, as long as it's not illegal, it's okay. Well, the evidence that we see is that the Kenny team recruited Jeff Calloway. They staffed him. They wrote his speeches. They gave him a timeline. They told him when to drop out of the race. They provided him with advertising. Even if they didn't fund the campaign, that's completely wrong. It meant that UCP voters were duped during the debates. But couldn't you see that for yourself? I'm pretty sure that was the first question our host asked on 6.30 Ched when Jeff Calloway late in the game announced that he was running. He he kept identifying with a lot of what Kenny was already campaigning on. Oh, yeah. I, I said that at the time. And, in fact, I said it before he dropped out. I said it during the first debate. When all Callaway was doing is criticizing Brian Jean. It, what was remarkable is during the first debate, nobody criticized each other. There's a lot of criticism of Notley, with the exception of Callaway going after Brian Jean and praising Jason Kenny. So it was known even before he dropped out. What we didn't have and what is new is the actual evidence between the two teams. And now we're learning more about campaign financing. Okay, and I recognize this is different, and this I, I'm trying not to be naive here, but you hear all the time as as those people in, in certain ridings are trying to run first just for the nomination of a party, they often come out licking their wounds saying, the party forced me out. They didn't want me running for the nomination. They, they smeared my name or they bring up old information. Isn't this kind of... Is behind the scenes not always a little bit unethical until oh, you get your so puppets that in place? Is the, 
that is what um, the UCP wants people to do, is they're playing off of this cynicism that, oh, parties communicate all the time during a leadership race. Um, this is not unusual in any other uh, race. Um, no. Uh, anyone I've talked to who follows leadership races know that this is completely different. It's one thing to talk to one another and say, especially in a preferential ballot, if I finish ahead of you, Kelsey, will you drop out of the race and then endorse me? That's perfectly fine. But it would be different if I said, Kelsey, I want you to run. I'm going to help you run. Your job is to attack Andrew Gross. And then at the end of the day, you're going to come and endorse me. That is, is completely different here. But they're playing on the cynicism that people have about how parties operate. And yes, at the beginning, this was all seen as sour grapes. I mean, this had been building for a year and a half. And people had been making accusations like a happy man, like a Pratt Gill, like a Derek Fildebrand. And the UCP could legitimately argue these are all people who have been tossed out of the party. They all have sour grapes. Um, so why should we give them any, uh, any leeway? Why should we listen to them? Well, one of the reasons now is that we have documents showing just how coordinated the two were. Well, Rachel Notley has said she's going to balance the province's budget by 2023-24. As she unveiled her party's election platform yesterday, she also pledged to expand $25 per day childcare, build long-term care beds for seniors, and construct new schools. UCP leader Jason Kenney took issue with a lot of this, saying to account for lost revenue in his budget platform, he would cancel the government's plan to make more oil to market by leasing rail cars. He also said the $3.7 billion lease deal doesn't make financial sense. <coughs> Dr. Dwayne Bratt, it's day number 14 from the campaign trail. What's, what's really jumping out? So the release of the pl platforms on the weekend was, was a big moment. And they were as different as you could imagine. Um, both were actually fixated on each other. So there was a lot about Jason Kenney in the NDP platform and a lot about Rachel Notley in the UCP platform. But when you read through it, um, the NDP <coughs> is going to continue its spending. It talked about building new schools. Uh, it talked about $25 a day at daycare. So maintaining health and education, uh, and there was also several sections on protecting uh, vulnerable Albertans, talking about gay straight alliances and a new ministry of multiculturalism. If you flip to the UCP, it's all about tax cuts. So getting rid of the carbon tax, reducing the corporate tax, um, repealing almost everything about energy and the environment that the NDP had brought in, so bringing back coal plants and uh, selling off the rail cars, um, as well as a section on fighting Ottawa. And there was a lot in there on how they're going to, to fight Ottawa. On the actual budget, um, the UCP budget has a balanced budget a year before the NDP. Um, and you can you can look at the numbers uh, in different ways, but one of the things that came out at me was about rail cars, and I think this is a, a major error from the UCP, 
in, in what was otherwise a very good uh, platform and well-costed platform. They're taking out the amount of money, $3.79 billion, that the government was going to spend on leasing of rail cars, but they're not including the revenue that those rail cars would have delivered, and they're not including any possible penalties for violating the contracts that they would have to pay CP and CN rail. So I'm not quite sure just how big a number that is that that's going to make the UCP off. It could be a billion dollars. It could be more than a billion dollars, uh, depending on what those penalties are and what that projected revenue stream was. Okay, we've, we've got 40 seconds, so I have to make it out for news. But I want to know, earlier today, Danielle Smith, Ryan Jesperson did a simulcast province-wide about balancing budgets. It's always such a big part of the conversation during the election campaign, but then also throughout every four years of government. Do you think we have to balance a budget in order to say we had a successful four years? No, I don't know how any government to balance the budget over the last four years. I think we can have a legitimate conversation about whether other governments were racked up $37 billion in debt in four years, as the NDP did, and whether it could have been 26 or $27 billion instead. But there was no way that anybody was going to have a balanced budget over the last four years. Thank you for your time and wisdom. Okay, you're welcome, Kelsey. That's Dr. Dwayne Bratt, political scientist from MRU. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.